0: This podcast episode should not be used as a substitute for medical or mental health advice. Individuals are advised to seek independent medical advice, counseling, and or therapy from a healthcare professional with respect to any medical condition, mental health issue, or health inquiry, including matters discussed on this podcast episode. Welcome back to the Unfiltered Podcast. This is episode 16. In today's episode, Dr. KP, a PhD-level clinician and licensed clinical social worker, will answer these five questions from our community. 1. Is it possible for a narcissist to be trauma-bonded to a narcissist? If so, are those types of trauma-bonds different from the trauma-bond a non-narcissistic person develops for his or her abuser? I ask because my narcissistic brother seems to be upon bonded to our narcissistic father. He grew up as the golden child and has always sought out our father's approval despite the abuse he is experiencing. 2. Throughout my childhood, my narcissistic mother had probably 20 to 30 boyfriends who were always the one. A few months in, she would find a reason to cut ties the with them and then move on to the next partner almost immediately. How are narcissists able to move on so quickly and why do they do it? 3. I believe that there are many healthy relationships that have an intense start that could be considered love-bombing. Obviously, those days don't last forever, but they don't end in the same way that the lumbombing bombing phase in narcissistic relationships do. How does the lung-bombing phase end in a narcissistic relationship? What are some of the signs of forthcoming abuse that we can watch out for? 4. I was in a physically abusive relationship for 9 years, but I can't figure out exactly when the abuse went from psychological to physical. What are some signs that I could have looked out for that would have helped me see that the abuse was becoming more and more violent? 5. I have been the scapegoat in my family for my entire life. I have been able to go low contact for the past three years and it has helped a lot, but I struggle with self-esteem issues every day. I think it would help if I could just understand why I was the scapegoat. Why did they choose me to be their emotional punching bag? Hi, Dr. KP. Thank you for joining me today. It's nice to have you in this podcast episode. Hi, thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, Let's get started with the questions right away. So the question number one is... Is it possible for a narcissist to be trauma bonded to a narcissist? If so, are those types of trauma bonds different from the trauma bond a non-narcissistic person develops for, for his or her abuser? I ask because my narcissistic brother seems to be trauma bonded to our narcissistic father. He grew up as the golden child and has always sought out our father's father's approval despite the abuse he is experiencing. Okay,
1: so this, this is such a great question. And I think before I start answering these questions and the ones that are going to follow up, I want to give a little bit of background about where I um, come from and what my um, kind of instruction and everything that I do professionally as it relates to this topic and every topic in, in my field kind of comes from. I'm a acculturation researcher. And what that means when i answering these questions is that I take culture into consideration. So I ask, where are your listeners from? How can I include their culture in it? And I know there are people from all over the world listening to this. So as you can probably tell, my, my accent, I was born and raised in, in South America and Colombia. I speak Spanish as my, as my native language. And I can see, I could tell the difference between different cultures. I lived in Japan for about six years and I went to the UK. And the response to family dynamics is different in different cultures. So we have cultures that are more collectivist and they see the family and they see the group as the main factor. And then we have cultures that are more individualistic, that see the individual as the main component in society. So when we're talking about trauma bonding, anything that has to do with family, we need to take that into consideration, in my opinion. So in a collectivist culture, there will be more of a priority for family, for family relations for that kind of bonding, and in a more individualistic culture, that is less likely to happen. So I just wanted to give that as a background around. Um, For this specific question, I think trauma bonding can happen regardless of whether both people uh, that are interacting are narcissists or not. However, if they have that already bond as a characteristic from each other and they kind of support each other's behavior in a way that they can count with each other, it may be that it goes even further and the bond is more tied up with others. Um, so they kind of have each other's back in the sense that they kind of know that they're not going to leave each other. They're not going to um, cut up each other's presence or stop talking to each other. Um, and that may happen also from my understanding, I've worked, I've been in this field for about 20 years and I've worked many of them with people, uh, who experience different types of abuse. A lot of people who are narcissists have the characteristics of having a low self-esteem. And so that is actually kind of like the background kind of drive behind that persona that they present and putting other people down. So if you already have that characteristic and you're more likely to be a target and you have each other's back in that sense, so it will make sense. So I'm kind of not surprised about this person's having this kind of scenario happening in their life um, and seeking the father's approval. Now that's something that can be very common and most of us want to have the approval from our parents uh, but if you already have a hard time uh, gaining approval from other people because you have narcissistic behavior or tendencies or you have the personality disorder um, again that will be another factor to kind of continue to find that approval because you know you're going to get it from your dad so yeah that's a very interesting perspective and family dynamics are so complicated every family can have a different dynamic and it's hard to answer it generally, but yeah, that will be my take up on it.
0: Okay. Thank you so much. Let's go to the second question. Throughout my childhood, my narcissistic mother had probably 20 or 20 to 30 boyfriends who were always the one. A few months in, she would find a reason to cut ties with them and then move on to the next partner almost immediately. How are narcissists able to move on so quickly and why do they do it?
1: Okay again, another family dynamic here that in some cultures, it may be frowned upon, especially from the female perspective as a mom to kind of have different partners, right? Then in, in maybe in other cultures too, it all depends on the cultural background, whether this person will be more attuned to do this or not. Having said that, I think a lot of the characteristics of, of uh, the narcissist personality in, in their traits is not to have relationships that have deep connections. They're more superficial and they have the intention to gain something from you. Right? So what can you do for me? How are you serving me right now in any way to perform, whether it's financially or what am I gaining from this relationship constantly? So they don't have this deep bonding and attachment that other healthy relationships will have. And that's why they're able to kind of say, okay, well, you're not serving the purpose maybe initially that I have with you. So now I'm moving on to the next person. And I do want to make sure that and I know this can be controversial, but this this people are in pain also, right? It's not that they are very enjoying deeply this type of behavior. They're hurting inside. And that's what they hurt people. It's not an excuse for their behavior that can be very abusive, but it's a reason behind it. So as they go through partners in on and off relationships they're also in pain themselves and i think some of us who do treat uh the narcissist trait or the narcissist personality disorder have to find those kind of pockets in the middle to have compassion for these people because it's so hard to do it otherwise if not it will be hard to treat any of them um so that will be why they will just move on because they don't behave in relationships in the same way that most people do Mm,
0: thank you so much and uh A follow up question that came to my mind once you mentioned the deep connection that they don't usually form the deep connection with their partners and their relationships are more superficial. And when you mentioned that these people are also in pain, that do you think narcissistic people, even though they are unable to form the deep connection with another human being, they crave for that? or what what is your thoughts about that
1: i truly believe that that they do and so there's a lot of controversy if if you look into the research behind the are they are they created is there a genetic composition behind it you know there's a lot of different thoughts, uh, a school of thoughts behind this. Um, I know uh, there's some people that are more heavy on the genetic composition. Others are like, no, it's completely made. And and in society now, it's kind of adding to that perspective. Uh, I do have a more humanistic perspective regarding my work and the work that I do with people. I try to see them first as human beings and then as their pathology or whatever they're presenting to me in my case. So they are human beings who are hurting, who are craving other connections. And in my opinion, they don't have the skills to do that, whether it's partially genetic, I believe, and partially environmental. I believe, depending on who you talk to, the percentage may be different. Uh, But they are environmental components that are research-based, such as neglect and abuse, and a lot of things that they had to really uh, control their environment by not allowing to get people to close because it's likely that they were very much abused or neglected when they were um, children and, and we know by research that that changed your brain structure right so in my opinion yes they do crave it they do want it and it's just hard to get because they just don't know how to relate to that there's a difference between having this, you know, psychopathic tendency of not empathy, and wanting to harm other people. And that's a different conversation. We're really talking about people that in my opinion, are in a lot of pain. And just, it's hard for them to create those connections, they had to, and again, it depending on the person who you're talking to, it may maybe more biological, environmental. Mm,
0: thank you. Uh, another follow up question, you mentioned mm-hmm. the uh, genetic component. Can you talk about more about that? Do you mean that they have like, is there some part of brain that deals with empathy? And that is that part is not working? Or what are those genetic components that you are that you mentioned? Yeah, so let's start with the fact that
1: if you ask anybody in this field, regardless of how much expertise they have, most of us will argue if you have a research background is that most of us, there's not a clear answer to this. There's not a scientific proof that you can say. There's no not an MRI out there that you can take or a, screen, uh, a screening of your brain that says, okay, yeah, this person is narcissist. There isn't anything yet. Maybe in the future we'll have it, uh, but as of right now, we don't. Do I know that some people are more empathetic than others, depending on their personality and the way that you're, their, their environment kind of nurtures them? Yeah, we know that. We know that some people are more empathetic, depending on their personality, depending on their temperament, depending on their environment. And again, depending on culture right and there are cultures who tend to be more empathetic i come from a culture that it's collectivist so for example if you move into a new neighborhood you're going to have neighbors coming and saying how are you doing how can we help you even they'll be in your business regardless whether you want to or not and then i move to a more individualistic culture where you don't know your neighbors nobody really talks to one another so empathy can be a part of how you behave in the world depending on your environment. But some people have it more inherited within them and some people have to learn it more. But empathy is a skill. And the more that you practice, the better you get at it, regardless. So this idea that, oh, I'm just not empathetic, it's not gonna get it better, it's part of my DNA. Um research shows that it's a skill and you can get better at it just because some people have it higher than others doesn't mean. Now with with what we're just referring to which is the narcissistic which by the way there's traits and then there's the full-blown personality disorder right um it's harder for them to have empathy yes they created it as a coping mechanism because m- maybe their environment wasn't safe to be empathetic and a lot of people who do present with the traits do have history of neglect abuse and again i'm not trying to create an excuse here for their behavior i think it's important if you're gonna have to deal with this kind of people whether because they're in your family or unfortunately you're stuck in a relationship it's important for me anyway what i teach my clients to to have the bigger picture and why is this happening how is this person cool and okay with doing this because sometimes it's just mind-blowing in the background and the bigger picture sometimes helps with that sense of compassion not to allow it but to find ways to either make boundaries, get treatment, get into therapy, and just do the best that you can with your, with the situation that you're in.
0: Thank you. Uh, let's go to the third question. Okay. <clears throat> I believe that there are many healthy relationships that have an intense start that could be considered love bombing. Obviously, those Days don't last forever, but they don't end in the same way that the love bombing phase in narcissistic relationships do. How does the love bombing phase end in a narcissistic relationship? What are some of the signs of forthcoming abuse that we can watch out for? Okay, yeah, another great question. All of this are
1: just very interesting and great questions because they come from people that are experiencing this in real life. I think that this idea of love bombing and is this idea of maybe getting bombarded with all kinds of affection and gifts and all of this like, oh my God, I'm so into you, right? I want to be in this relationship. It's so romantic. And then the difference between something that may be healthy and not healthy is when you're ready to put boundaries, right? So you may be receiving all of this attention, all these gifts, and you may not be in the same space. So you may say, you know, I appreciate it, or this is, Great, thank you, but I'm just not there yet, or I need space, or um, I'll let you know when I'm prepared for this. And unfortunately, with a a narcissistic relationship, they tend to not be okay with boundaries, right? So either they're going to become upset and now make it about you and do a lot of gaslighting or continue to persist. Because they just don't like boundaries, and they feel like they don't apply to them. So that is the difference. If you feel like you're putting boundaries, you're not ready, and they continue to insist, they don't respect your boundaries, they now are using information against you to help to make you feel guilty or somehow that you use them then you know this is not going the right way. And it's a big red flag to continue to put your boundaries and don't go any further. Um, It's a big flag. And not having those sense of boundaries is very important to be okay within the relationship. You should be comfortable to go at your own pace and things that come from you that you're comfortable with. Now, they can be very manipulative, right? So they may, again, blame it on you or find ways financial ways or with your family ways to try to capture you again but just stick with your boundaries and know that that's a big red flag if they're not following it
0: Thank you Um, so how would you once again sum up that like does the love bombing phase end in a narcissistic relationship to either you know you setting boundaries and them getting upset or is there any like other ending to it possible ending the fact that they don't want it to end the persistency
1: i think mm, that's my point point. Yeah. and a lot of people end up in relationships that they don't want to be because of their persistency they want what they want and they're gonna use their manipulation abilities to get you there right mm. so the ending again will be a relationship that you don't want so it is the end of the love bombing scene but now you're stuck in a relationship before you know it and you're like oh my god what is happening mm. that can be very manipulative so it's it's usually not good and or sometimes it can be that they're like okay fine like this person mentioned they have 20 30 part- partners so instead of being understanding and say okay i see your boundaries I will respect them. Let me know when you are ready for this. They may just disappear and you'll never see them again, mm-hmm. which in my opinion is probably a good ending, better than the other two. Uh, it may be like, they're just gonna ready to move on to the next person.
0: Thank you for clarification. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the fourth question. I was in a physically abusive relationship for nine years, but I can't figure out exactly when the abuse went from psychological to physical. What are some signs that I could have looked out for that would have helped me see that the abuse was becoming more and more violent? Mm, Such an important question, and I worked with a lot of victims of abuse.
1: So I'm going to give, I use attachment theory as one of the main theoretical perspectives in my work oftentimes people who end up in these relationships have a lot of inner child unresolved work to do what that means is that it's likely that when there were kids they didn't have the love that they deserve maybe they had some type of abuse and neglect and now because their inner child hasn't healed yet it is still finding ways to connect in in ways that are not healthy because it doesn't see the red flags. Even though you may be an adult, your inner child is still making these decisions. I'll give you an example. Um, I heard someone once said, I saw the red flags, however, I, this was the first time that I felt safe in this relationship. Now this person is, not, is an adult and they come from a very abusive childhood experience. So even though there were red flags to them, that was safety. And now that they're processing in therapy and in treatment, they can see those red flags in a very different perspective because their inner child is healing for what they needed to heal before going into that relationship. So I think the first thing that I want to say is to, if anybody's listening, they're stuck in this relationship, is not to feel shame or guilt because you're in it or because you didn't see the red flags or because it's elevating in a way and you feel like, how did I get here? there are reasons for that. And it's not a rational mind that is saying, oh, I'll just stay and let this person treat me badly or hit me whenever they want to. That's not the case. A rational mind wouldn't do that. The, the emotional mind is saying, this is better than being with that abuser. This is better than being homeless, whatever experience you had in the past. Um, it could also be that you're very empathetic or you're an empath and you just can't get yourself to leave because they use manipulation. They use, "I'll end my life, if you leave me, I'll take our kids if you do. So it's very hard for that empath mindset to take the big step because they know they're going to cause a lot of pain. And in turn, they sustain their own pain to try to just keep it together for everyone. So I just wanna put that out there because even between the lines, I could hear maybe some shame or guilt. What could I have done better? Why am I stuck here? Um, So as a therapist, I do address that very early in my work. If you're not seeing them, that's why. Now, if you're seeing, if, if you're capable of seeing it and you have healthy self-esteem, it's likely that it's, you're not going to allow it to elevate to a physical place in the first place. Most people may allow some, some emotional abuse because they're not sure. You know, a lot of us don't learn about boundaries. I teach boundaries and healthy relationships to middle school kids. Kids are in seventh, eighth grade. Um, that's very important. A lot of people didn't grow up with good, healthy relationships as role models. So why will we know that? But most people know that once someone starts to hit you or touch you in ways that are not intent for love but for harm, you need to put a boundary and say, this is not acceptable. Right? So, again, this is more of a self-reflective question. Uh, it's not so much about the red flag that you may not see, Is why did I allow that to continue to happen? and it's because you need to do some work. It's not to put, again, blame or guilt. Your inner child still craving the sense of safety that they give you. Um, again, lack of boundaries, manipulation, not allowing you to have your own voice, um, anything that has to do with physical, if is anybody out there that still believes, well, sometimes we just hit each other and that's okay, that is not healthy, that is not okay, even if it's bi-directional, if you're trying to use self-defense. Any type of physicality with the intent of harm is not a healthy relationship, period. And if it starts to elevate to that level, it's important for you to set up that boundary, get the treatment that you need, and find out why it got elevated to that point.
0: Thank you. Uh, Let's go to the final question, number five. I've been the scapegoat in my family for my entire life. I've been able to go low contact for the past three years, and it has helped me a lot. But I struggle with self-esteem issues every day. I think it would help if I could just understand why I was the scapegoat. Why did they choose me to be their emotional punching bag?
1: Mm. There's a lot of pain also in this question. And uh, just like I started, I'm going to end with acculturation. Right. Family dynamics are influenced by culture. Um, there's a sense of, um, in some cultures that are collectivists, I've heard people say, including mine, well, it's my parent. So, regardless of what they do, I'm always going to forgive them. Uh, well, it's family. It's my brother. It's my sister. So, we're family. We have to forgive. And I think there is a misconception about what forgiveness can be in family. I can forgive you and not have a relationship for you, with you, I can forgive you and have healthy boundaries. So if you're struggling with having boundaries within your family system, it may be that you are in a culture that allows that to happen. And the underlying message that you keep hearing is just, it's family. You cannot just have to deal with it, which is not healthy. Other individualistic cultures have an easier time setting boundaries with their biological parents or their sister. Like, well, my father was very abusive. He's an alcoholic and I don't ever want to see him again. In some cultures that's very, very hard to do because the message is like, they're your parents, forgive him, deal with it. Very, very unhealthy. Both cultures have obviously positives and negatives when it comes to the way that they relate into the family dynamic. But in this case with these questions is the sense of, I continue to be there punching back over and over again. You can assume that it was because there were, a child and they didn't have a way out, right? If you are 15, if you're 10, it's not like you can say, bye, family, I don't wanna be your punchback anymore. But if you continue to be the punchback as an adult, I'm interested to hear what's keeping you from setting healthy boundaries now that you can. The reason behind that, again, is very specific to each family. I will have to know a lot more about their family dynamics, who is doing this, why. But in general, people who are more empathetic, They're more strong will, they're looking for justice and always seeking justice, they're more emotionally reactive, they question authority, are usually the ones that the family will kind of do some emotional dumping or some blaming on them because ultimately they know they're going to be there for me regardless. That's really the case. If they they feel like you're going to just go away and say, screw it, I don't want this, they're not likely to do that but if you continue to be there because you're so empathic because you care so much because you like justice in they're not a healthy family dynamic they will continue to do that because the scapegoat allows for blame shame guilt all of that to just oh i just want to release it and put it on someone and it continues for the unhealthy family dynamic to be permissive so I just want to put it out there, regardless of your culture, where you are, if you didn't end up with the best family dynamic and there is some type of views, whether it's emotional or physical, it's important for you to set boundaries and to start questioning, regardless of who they are, There are boundaries that you need to have to have a healthy lifestyle and a good, good life overall. And as a therapist, I help people with that. It's a very difficult decision.
0: Thank you so much. Uh, This made me think of a follow up question for you. Uh, When we are dealing with a narcissistic family, do you think that there is always a scapegoat? Because you mentioned that when there is a scapegoat, the narcissistic person can just put all the blame, release all the blame to on someone to ease their own psychological burden? or. Something like that. So do you think that in every narcissistic uh, family dynamic, there is one scapegoat?
1: Yeah, you can argue it's very often the case. I, I tend to not generalize and say always or never anytime because as a researcher, I know that's usually not the case. However, uh, there is this sense of emotional disconnection and they do build a lot of emotions. So if I can connect, if I can self-regulate, if I cannot deal with this, I need to put it somewhere. Now, it's up to the family to allow that to happen or not. They will find someone, they, they will find a friend, they will have someone, hopefully, in the best case scenario, they'll find a therapist that they can go and process their emotions, but not very narcissists are in therapy. And that's the problem that we have with this population. Very rarely are they genuinely concerned about changing because in their eyes, there's nothing wrong with them. So that will be best case scenario for them to go to a helping professional vent, put it all out there so they can be questioned and they can start taking responsibility, which they don't do. They don't say it's my bad. They don't say I should have done better, forgive me it's all about blaming the other person they're always in the right mindset so yes you can argue it's likely to happen and my encouragement for those who are listening and are in that experience is don't let that be you do not let it be you set the boundaries regardless of who they are get the treatment that you need if this has been going for a while and you deserve to have a healthy lifestyle in a relationship we all do
0: Thank you so much. Um, We had really great questions and great answers in today's podcast. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast and thank you, Dr. KP, for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it.